Hello and welcome to Living Being. I'm Chris Park. I'm Patrick Randall. We love bees. There's so much uh, to learn. One never stops learning about bees. Bees are fascinating and they're over the most of the world. And wherever there are bees, there is health. So in today's episode, we're talking to Rick Smith, um, who's a flute maker, um, and we'll tell you a little bit about why why we're talking to him because there's some inspiration behind one of his flutes, which, which is related to bees, isn't it, Chris? Yes, yes, is uh, also known as Shining Fox. That's right. Is his his uh, professional name, I guess, or his his magical flute making name? And how did you yeah, meet so him? I, I, well, he came here with his girlfriend on his birthday oh. for an for an experience. For they'd booked it on Airbnb. It's the the apitherapy house. Yeah, beehive. And she just kind of uh, obviously knows him really well and knew that he would love the experience and and it inspired him on a on a really deep level and in, in a meditation that he made in the in the bee house you know sitting on lying down sitting on top of the bees listening to them tuning into their blessings and uh and he went away full of inspiration and uh, what do you get when you're in when you when you're in your bee house when someone's in your bee house what's you you get the noise of the bees what what else do you get um experience wise well, the, fir- the first thing you experience when you walk in the door is this this sweet spicy smell of bees you know the 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 propolis and the honey, especially in warmer weather, and well, even in, even in the winter, it's a different experience in the winter because the bees aren't really flying, yeah, and so it's not so not so busy, and but all the bees are in there, you know. There are not so many bees that overwinter are there, but there. Is, is there a different smell? Uh, uh, There's a different smell in the winter. Or? Well, it's a colder smell. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, yeah it's, it's weird, so, isn't it? It's so, it's so it comes to your nostrils in a, in a different temperature, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, but no, but you can, you can smell it still. And also in there, I've installed a couple of face masks, so you can have concentrated beehive air therapy. Wow. These these tubes go into the into two of the hives. There's a big bank of bees. The the entrances are on the outside of the building. Yeah. So there's no bees on the inside of the building. And we have bee beds that you lie down on top of, and there are vents that the air percolates into the into the room. And it's all designed for the kind of finest quality air. So there's no glues or varnishes, just just um, natural wood, bit of linseed oil, sheep's wool insulation. You know, so, so it's built with with that to try and up out of air and everything that the bees yeah. produce uh, infuses the air inside inside the building. Yeah, and, and and but there are windows, and you can look out the windows and watch bees fly, and and observe other hives, and there, you know, skeps and log hives, and conventional hives, and other things to look at, and of course the woodland, and the flowers, and and the clouds in the sky. <laughs> There's a there are bookshelves in there to read, you know, bee books and other interesting things, and a few old antiques of beekeeping, uh, paraphernalia, yeah. and yeah, so it's, 
uh, it's a nice experience and, and it's quite unique I think I mean these bee houses are really popular in places like Russia and uh, Ukraine and uh, Slovenia yeah. uh, and there is a tradition of bee houses in, in the UK but not for apitherapy and this particular therapy is called beehive air therapy became a recognized therapy I suppose in the 1980s but it's catching on and, I, and I'm and I know there are other there are other bee houses in the country that have a kind of more of a Slovenian or or some of them you know British some you, I've seen this ancient old bee house down in well it's not that old but it's a it's an antique down in the Quantocks it's called a Spiller bee house and so there was a guy called Spiller who had this system of management in the UK and uh, but that that just generally it's really old it's really old and I'm sorry to say you walk in right. there and you just smell creosote because it's so it's so old and and, and um, it's just probably 50% creosote but it's but it's a lovely piece you know and it's brilliant that they've preserved it and put it in the in the Quantox Club Apiary and it's still man and it's still manageable and it's have uh, but the hives you, you it's basically a, a shed with beehives on a stand in there for you know at a nice height to manage. And they're a bit warmer in the winter. The idea is that the entrances be, are on the outside so you don't disturb guard bees and you work in, in kind of semi-darkness on the inside as well so it's more olfactory. And, and it's, just, it's an interesting style of managing bees. So, so, yeah, so the bee houses were, have always been a thing in Britain. But this particular therapy of, yep. of having these quite small, some of them quite small spaces, some of them are just bee beds. So I have a right. friend in America, he's Russian-American, Leo Shiraskin makes these and you can download free plans from I think from his website horizontalhives.com about how to make a kind of bee bed that looks like a coffin <laughs> so you you literally you literally oh lie down goodness. on top of it and close this lid on yourself you know if you're not if you're not claustrophobic you have a really really uh intense experience I'm sure and, uh, and where are the bees in that situation? Where, well, you're, where are you're the bees? Li you're lying on top of the top bars, actually. Uh, most right. most bee beds, you you do lie on top of the bees. There's, there's yeah. either, there's yeah, either you're either on the on the top bars or on just or on, a, on another kind of above a mesh, ideally, and then on some like a it's kind of like a sauna bed, you know, that you lie down on top of, and underneath that are the bees. But there's a there yeah. there are meshes or various different things to stop the bees coming up through to to have contact with you just it's just the air that comes up yeah yeah the crucial crucial element that that the, that, uh, the bees need to well stay yeah i mean but but yeah. yeah i must add you do have to i mean you don't have to i suppose but yeah i guess it's wise to manage the bees and so the the room does become full of bees you know when when you're managing them they, they just yeah so there Can, is a so the the trickiest bit about managing a bee house, I think, especially a bee house for one that people are going to come into and have a nice, relaxing experience, is once you've... Uh, so I darken all the windows and have shutters on the outside. And then there's a small window yeah. up to the left that I leave open. And, and that's where the light is coming from. So that any any bees that are coming out of the hive that I'm inspecting or, or managing fly to that window, ideally. And then out, and then oh, back around to their entrance. Uh, yeah. So, so when I finished, I kind of leave it all dark and leave that window open for a bit, and just have a look round to see if there are any other bees flying around. Just you know, just with a kind of a bee brush, uh, trying to try and help them out and try and liberate. Yeah, them. yeah. 
when Rick was there, Chris. Yeah. Um, when he when he was there, he spent um, some hours in there, and uh, he enjoyed he enjoyed this experience in the bee house, and um, and then we caught up with him later, didn't we, to find out what he what it, what had inspired him, uh, what what he'd been inspired to do after his visit. And we caught up with him in Anglesey. Um, yeah, for some, we, he was off on a trip or something, wasn't he? He was travelling around, and uh, and we caught up with him. The wonders of technology, um, us in our different places, him with a laptop, probably um, uh, up in Anglesey in the in the in the rain and the and the weather. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it was, it was he around told us all midwinter time, wasn't it? I think around the solstice yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. But he was still buzzing. Excuse the pun, but he was still buzzing from your from the experience at your place, and uh, he told us all about it, mm-hmm. um, and, and told us and told us about you know how meditative his experience had been there. So let's let's um, should we have a listen to the the, uh, the interview with Rick? Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. Hey there, Rick. Hello. Nice to be here. Yeah. Hey, and and uh, you're in, you're near Wallingford, aren't you? Down by the Thames. You still there? Uh well, that's where I'm living. But at the moment, I'm in Anglesey in Wales. And uh, ah, lovely. Uh, yes. And uh, so you and it's raining a lot, so you might hear that in the background. But <laughs> you're in Anglesey. That's amazing. This time of year, especially around the winter solstice, isn't there an old burial mound there, Bryn Kethley the which is aligned to the winter solstice, isn't it? Yes, it's a, it's it's an incredible place, and uh, uh, I have been some years ago, and uh, hopefully we'll get back there uh, this week. So, great, great, and and as Patrick knows, that um, beekeeping's slightly different in Wales, isn't it? Or, or or the season is different to to Wiltshire, so isn't it, Patrick? You're well, I'm finding out, um, yeah. but I haven't actually got the bees here in Wales yet, uh, but I've been told that it can be a bit different. Um, there is a hardy stock of bees in Wales to cope with more challenging conditions. Yeah, yeah. They've got longer hair, haven't they? <laughs> in Wales. <laughs> they, ha- they have, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, they have. It's, um, what you, it's what you call an ecotype. So that that's why uh, there's a current trend of encouraging beekeepers to source their bees as locally as possible because then you're going to have uh, the provenance of your stock is going to be uh, suited to the to the place you're in so if you're down in kent or you know on the south coast your your bees will have shorter hair and they'll be suited and their behavior will be suited to a different kind of season you know like an earlier spring and things yeah you know, or, or, or i'm not exactly sure on the details of the season but you know things like that or you know different sized seasons and different timings and of course, different forage. The different forage is fascinating. But Rick, tell us about how you met Chris, because this is really the start of our story here, because you met Chris and found out about his uh, apitherapy house, didn't you? Yeah, so it, w- it was part of a birthday present for me, and I didn't really know very much about it at all. It was a bit of a surprise, like, okay, we're going to arrive at this place, and, and uh, there's some bees and meditation involved. And I was like, great, okay, that sounds fantastic. So when I got there, and, and I met Chris, and that was great, and then and then saw this this space that he's created, and I was like, okay, this this looks fantastic. And I and I, I like to meditate a lot and, and do journeying and that sort of thing. And, and, and I got into this place, and... And it was just fantastic. It was. I immediately 
went into a really wonderful story and meditation about bees and our ancestors and and how they their connection with with bees and then not only with our ancestors but also the, the bees themselves and how that they how they function in, in the hive and out into the in the world and the medicine that they create and and it was it was a fantastic experience and then speaking with Chris before and after I learned so much about bees and wasps and all these things it was and i'm and just listening to you guys now i've even learned more so it's <laughs> did you know anything about bees before you met chris i mean had you come across beehives or beekeeping or anything uh, yes i mean sure you know and i'd seen seen hives and things i've never seen um the traditional ones that, that he makes skleps i think or skeps yeah um, skeps yep <clears throat> yeah, uh, I had never seen anything like that before, um, but I had come across beehives, but had never actually ever seen inside one, or had seen um, or been very close to one. And but always did love honey and knew and knew the 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 connection with bees and how that they're so um, important to our lives and uh, and pollen, with pollination and such. Yeah. Hey, so it is you know. For me, it's like, a, oh, I, I can sort of sit in there and I forget what it might be like for someone who just has, you know, experienced honey and uh, and a bit of knowledge of bees and, then when, <laughs> and, and, and not even seen a skep. So that's really, that's really lovely for me to hear that and kind of get that, you know. And it's a, you know, it is quite an immersive experience, isn't it? You're inside the beehive room and you've got the bee air and the bee sounds and the bee noises and, and then you've sensed a, a bit of old skeps and a few bees and old things that you might not see many other places in the world actually uh, certainly in britain exactly uh, yeah. it, of it, course it, yeah I've, uh, yeah th thanks for thanks for saying that that's because it's just it, every day here and um what, <laughs> what what i wanted to ask you is is um that could you say a bit about the kind of meditation that you do because some of our listeners might not they might you know have meditated done a bit of yoga from time to time or you know, gone a bit further into various different systems of meditation. But you mentioned journeying, and that's a particular type of meditation, isn't it? And, and, and some people might not be familiar with that. And that was, I think, that's really key to part of your experience and and how that has informed your music. Would you be able to say more about that experience, if that's okay? Yeah, it's not. I mean, normally my. Uh, I, I'm someone that does do yoga and meditation every day as part of as part of my life. Um, and it's and journeying is something that um, I recently got into. I'm not not very formally, but um, just did a bit of a bit of research into it, reading into it, and and practicing it. And um, and I'm certainly no expert, but it is a way for from what I know and what I feel it sort of connects a lot with the way that I have always mm, been going through through life in certain ways as far as connecting with um, following a path connecting with things that are in nature and um, and using I would say probably for me the most important thing is, is the belief in imagination uh, that imagination is not something that is uh, make believe, but is actually um, something that's real, and 
and as children we are we are taught many times to to stop imagining things and i think it's important to yeah. always keep imagining things because and using that as an as an extra sense that we have so to speak so uh, yeah i mean it's like half in, half the world is <laughs> i mean half of one's yeah. experience of the world uh, i guess yeah. it is or used to be in those realms that you're speaking of and i yeah. guess it's only in fairly recent history that we've i guess, I guess demoted that or pushed that aside and just gone for the empirical kind of logical yes, way to see the I, world i agree and i think our our ancestors um didn't certainly never tried to get rid of imagination and it's and it's nice to um to go into that uh it to go into that world and into those worlds i guess and certainly um our ancestors have passed created quite a, a structure and a formalization around it that that uh you know g- given these these places different worlds and different um meanings and purposes in that that was you know uh very important and certainly i'm not very knowledgeable about that but i do follow my imagination and i do go on a process with these journeys and and they are they are about guiding me on, on where to go in my life and also about the music and the flutes and, and, and how they get created and their inspiration, their meaning and the music as well. So it's, uh, um, the, the, the experience that I had at the, uh, with the bees was, was fantastic. And it was, um, you know, I, I, when I lied down to go meditate there, it was, it was like, I really wanted to have an experience with the bees, and immediately what came to me was 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 ancestors from say forty thousand years ago, sort of Neanderthal human um, mixing time here in the UK, and and uh, how they were understanding bees, and 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 it was it was a fascinating, fascinating thing, and and then. Um, it was also it also came to a point about s- seeing the bees themselves inside the hive and then out in the air flying to the flowers and then back in the hive and um uh and so that's the basis of the of the journey itself and then when i came away from there um it really it stuck with me for a long time and i decided to yeah, to create yeah. a flute to create a flute based on this so <laughs> i did <laughs> Yeah, because um, let's just explain to our listeners, actually, because there is another reason why we, we asked you to come on the podcast, because we're fascinated about what you do. If, I, if I've got this correct, because you, you make um, Native American flutes, and this is what you were telling Chris about after your session at the Apotherapy House. So can, can you tell us a bit about what you do with these amazing instruments? So my journey with these flutes started about 28 years ago when I was living in California, and uh, I had a really great friend there who was my mentor with these flutes. And, and uh, he was a Native American storyteller and, uh, and also a flute player. And, um, and he lived uh, on a Navajo reservation there with his family. And, uh, yeah, we became really good friends. And I asked him one day if he could um, teach me how to play flute. And then that sort of went on to how to make flutes. And... Um, 
and uh, yeah, so he was very generous, and, and, and I'm grateful for that. He, he taught me to make these flutes, and uh, it was an amazing experience. The first time we sat in a little bamboo grove, uh, or river cane, which is actually the original material that these flutes were probably made out of because they were um, already hollow material. And so um, we cut some material there and, and, and made our first flute. Uh, together, uh, which I have to say the first one that I made wasn't very good, but the second one uh, came out very nicely, and I still have that one to this day and still play it often. Um, yeah. And he taught you to make them in a very traditional way, didn't he? Is that right? You're not making them with modern machinery or anything like that, are you? No. I try to stick with, uh, to do it as, as traditionally as I possibly can. Um, obviously, over the years, the the craft has has it, it develops, but I I try very much to stick with with making them by hand um, as much as possible, and and try to do it in tr- in as traditional way as possible because uh, it's a different sounding flute, and there are, there are lots of flute makers around the world now that that make them by machine, and and they sound amazing. Um, and they are great flutes, but uh, this 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 type of flute is a different thing. I only make I make one at a time, uh, and my experience in making that is um, is just that, and it's it's an experience, and it starts from uh, inspiration about the instruments through yeah. through Mother Earth it's or unique, nature, isn't it? and so- yeah. And then goes on, and everything that such a great process. Yeah, it, 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 it it's just feels- full of full of all your magic and art and inspiration yeah what a great thing to combine the, the like a practical craft with all that all the meditation and the consideration and yeah and they it's such a wonderful thing to do i think they sound like they start to sound and many times the flutes sound like the thing or the inspiration that they were originally Really? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I thought when I heard you. When I, yeah, when we heard your track that we'll hear, we'll play that later on. Okay. I thought, how could you know? That's, that's just, you know, if I hadn't, have I hadn't known you, hadn't met you, and hadn't been part of the process, and I just heard, you know, your track with the with the bees and the flute coming in. It's just, it's like, it's like you've hit the nail on the head, or you've, or something, or some. There's some essence of bees about the the music mm. just that you that you're playing that you've captured. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, your experience with the Bee House led you to be inspired to make an instrument and write a tune on that instrument. Is that is that right? Yes, exactly. And with as well as with flute making, um, flute playing for me is also very much about inspiration. And uh, and my friend also taught me to play this way: is that every song comes through me and and goes out to the universe and that's that's that song and i to this day i've never really learned a song so i i just play what comes to me and and go and and and, um and then it goes off um and this this presented a well it didn't it wasn't a really problem but i recorded an album a couple years ago um and I'm working on a new one at the moment, but all these songs on this album, they were just, they just came through me and I just played them and I could 
I, I haven't learned any of the songs in the album. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't play any one of them again. Really, I'd have, I'd have to learn it. But that is not really how I I play. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it's uh, keep keep music live. Yeah, <laughs> literally keep music live, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's spontaneous. It's, it's sort of unique, isn't it? A one-off moment. Yeah. So for the honey, uh, this this song, uh, for, I firstly created this flute. Um, and what that was inspired completely by my experience uh, at the with the bees, and then once the flute was created, I I said, okay, I'll, I'm gonna I want to like record a song with this flute, and and just and recorded this song, and was completely thinking about the bees, about and and my experience there, and and then and then it came um, later that I wanted to return there and record some of the the beehives and record the bees to be used on this on this track as well and that was also an an incredible amazing experience to to even immerse myself closer and get even closer to the bees and and uh it was unforgettable unforgettable yeah lovely lovely so can you can you describe the instrument itself have you got the one you made for, for the bees there with you no, I don't. It's it's it. Uh, it's gone to its new owner. Ah, um, oh, okay. So do they do they know the story? Obviously, you told them the story. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She knows the story, <clears throat> and uh, um, and isn't she a beekeeper? <laughs> yes, actually, <laughs> it was it's quite something. Uh, she when when she got this flute, she she. She told me that she was a beekeeper and uh, and had recently sort of lost her her connection with the bees and was going to to use this flute to try to to reconnect herself with 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 the bees and get back into 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 keeping them, which was fantastic, you know. And, uh, That's just brilliant, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So this the, oh. that story continues its journey, you know, with this this flute. So it's uh, it's quite uh, it, it's the amount of magical stories I have with these flutes about where they go. It's it's, it's incredible. It really is something, you know. Yeah. What great work. Yeah. So so the story's within the instrument, doesn't it? I mean, is, is there anything particularly physically about the instrument that actually sums up the bees when when you look at it, or or is it just the fact that we know the stories in there and and that she knows the stories in there too. There's a few things. Uh, I mean, as you would, because whenever I make a flute, I always sort of write a creation story of that flute that explains a bit about my process um, in creating this this flute. And within that story, also it will explain some of the symbolism that's that's put into the flute. And on this particular flute, there was um, some stone inlays that I put in there that were really based upon um the world of the bees and my my original journey that I had with the bees and 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 um uh and it was a turquoise stone which is blue which is about the sky and about their journey flying and there was green which is malachite which is about um sort of the earthly part of the bees and the flowers and they're collecting and and creating the medicine um and then there was this it was red jasper that I put on there that was um, very much about the hive um, and the magic and the medicine that they create inside that um, place. So you wouldn't outwardly know by looking at it, but it is explained that that's that was my process in it and the story.
And is it made of bamboo? What's the wood that you've used? This one was made from uh, hazel, uh-huh. wood that I collected that I collected in Abergorge in Somerset, which is a yeah. place of, uh, uh, you know, people, humans, animals, creatures have been living there for millions of years. Yeah. Um, humans have been there um, quite strongly since 40,000 years ago, um, which was... Um, really when my journey with this flu in the, in the meditation was, was, uh, about, about that time and, uh, and when humans were in that, that process. So I thought, well, this would be perfect. I had some hazel that I collected there and I thought, yeah, this would be great. I mean, I'm sure you'd be joyed, overjoyed to know that the, there was a, a, a great connection between bees and hazel trees. Obviously, <laughs> this, the magic, oh, really? the magic <laughs> continues to flow. So Eva Crane, uh, you know the sort of doyen of uh, of bee science and and the International Bee Research Association and, and many things. Uh, she said, wherever you find hazel trees, you'll find bees. So wherever there are hazel growing on the planet, you know the extremities of far north and far south, and you will find honeybees because the hazel catkins are one of the first forage in the springtime, in the early early year. As soon as those hazel catkins kind of drop and it's wind-blown pollination, you see that kind of the kind of dust of pollen blowing from one hazel tree to another, or to the tiny, tiny little scarlet flowers that they have uh, hidden away on the on the branches in the early early year. And bees love that pollen, and it's really good nutrition for them and their brood, and they'll be packing it back into the hive as furiously as they can on, on any kind of warm, dry day in in February. That is so fascinating. <laughs> in, 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 yeah, and in the, in the Isles of Britain, the hazel trees are known as uh, one of the trees of poetry, the nine hazels of poetry, and which are whose hazelnuts fall into the sacred pool of wisdom, which as great salmon of knowledge uh, catches the hazelnuts and eats them, becomes the wisest creature. And of course, bees and poetry and mead and poetry have this lovely link. So it's, yeah, what a perfect wood. And I was going to say, and I, wow. I've, I think I've seen you making flutes from elder as well. And that's another very traditional wood from, from this neck of the woods. It that, is, uh, yes. Um, to make flutes from, and, and of course, Europe. There's an old saying, if you've, if you've got an elder tree, a sharp knife and a goat, then you can make some bagpipes. <laughs> I believe it, <laughs> but, but of course, you know, because if you just want to make a pipe, you just need some some elderwood, and, and of course, there's so many superstitions and customs and traditions that with with the elderwood, you know, it's seen as the grandmother elder and the wood that you don't burn because it can, it's the witch's tree, and you you know, you sort of traditionally would give a bit of blood to the tree in exchange for a branch and, you know, communicate with the trees before you do any of that kind of stuff in the, in the traditional way. You know, if we're talking, um, you know, it's that kind of spiritual relationship. Yeah. Which is very much how you operate, isn't it? It's really, really good to see someone at this day and age, you know, uh, working and creating, uh, something of real value and, and beauty, uh, but also having that, the, that kind of route into what we're talking about right at the beginning of the imaginal, but not the imaginal, the magical, the other world in the, what the, what, I don't know what they'd call it in the Native American traditions. What would you call that place? That, um, is there a word for it? I don't know. Did the, 
Yeah, spirit world. The spirit world, yeah. Yeah, yeah I love the way as well, that because because you're making these in a sort of traditional way, it, it, it takes time, doesn't it? So that time's really significant, maybe, because it's about the time that you're using to make it as opposed to the sort of quicker process of machine making it, um, when it would be sort of bashed out, you know, much quicker. And um, there's a sort of thought process going into it, really. It's really lovely. Exactly. You've really hit the nail on the head there. It's 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 really wonderful to uh, to make flutes in this way because, like I said, they start with inspiration, and I go on to create create them and think about that inspiration as I'm creating it. And, and things, it, the magic happens. It's quite amazing the things that will come uh, to me at a teaching, and and uh, you know I'm learning all the time and stuff that that nature brings to me. And then often I create. Uh, people come to me and ask them, uh, ask me to to make a flute for them. And when that happens, I always ask them for their inspiration in their in life at the moment or their intention and their and and get a so the flute becomes sort of a mix between um what they are inspired by in life and what i am inspired by um whilst collecting the wood and making the flute and and that sort of thing so it, it becomes a again um a very unique uh thing but not only part of me but part of the person that the flute is for which is a wonderful experience Listen, I think this is a good opportunity to listen to your, your B piece. Um, can you introduce it for us, Rick? The song is called Honeybee. It's, it's um, as is the flute itself, called Honeybee. Uh, a little bit about the, the song itself. that It's sort of in three parts, um, which was similar to um, what I was talking about, about the colors uh, that I put into the, into the flute itself. And the sort of beginning of this the song is about the bees in the hive and then it, it, it changes quite dramatically and it's about the bees flying and going to the flowers and then it comes back to like it was in the beginning, back to the safe place and that's the bees returning back to the hive. So that's sort of my feeling of when I was playing it.
Ah, oh, that's so good to hear. Really, really love that. And of course, you know, I, I love listening to Rick playing. He, you know, came here a couple of months ago and just sat in front of some skeps and and played music to them. And it's, it's just such a great thing that relationship to have with the creature, isn't it? A bit of music and, and you know, imagine, you know, like the goat herd singing to the herd of goats or the the beekeeper singing to the bees if they haven't been drinking too much cider. It all goes well, you know. <laughs> and, and, and you can, you know, of course, you can safely do it within the bee house, but, but just to sit there and the fact that the bees, kind of, they kind of respected you. Rick, I remember that day. I thought, oh, you know, what oh, has he, if, did he have any garlic last night for dinner? I was thinking, you know, what did he have? To, has, he, has he drank yeah. coffee this morning? Because they do, they can, they can react badly to strong odours. And it just, it was just this magic mm. moment. It's like you're a bee charmer and a bee whisperer. They're pretty calm bees here anyway, uh, but, can, you know, you never know. Yeah, can I say that was, that was just one of the most amazing experiences I had, Chris, just sitting there being surrounded by all of these, these bees and was just, oh, it was, it was wonderful. And the sun was shining. It was, it was beautiful. Really great. I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah, so the bees are grateful too. It's really good of you to come on, Rick, and talk to us about it. I mean, the fact that this is a podcast means our listeners can't see your, your wonderful instruments, but we're going to put some links up to your website, if that's okay, Rick, uh, so people can see the instruments and see what we've been talking about here. I suppose the sting in the tail is that there's a... Uh, the, the honeybees only made it to America in 1622. <laughs> and, and that there's that really... So there's a really interesting... Uh, sort of... Um, dynamic between honeybees and the native american people who considered honeybees as the as the white man's fly or the or the white man's bullet and and of course when colonialism happened bees spread a lot quicker than people so the the indigenous tribes kind of encountered the bee first and they kind of knew that the the white man i don't use, i don't like using the word white you know we're all we're just a different shade of Brown, I mean, in a way, but uh, so uh, and um, so there's, a, <laughs> so there's, a, there's. Uh, so don't you think so? Don't you, don't you think that that kind of black and white dichotomy is is a bit yeah unhelpful? But but so um so the so there's that incongruity about about the First Nations of America and and bees, but of course there were there were stingless bees in the Americas, and uh, and quite recently there's been a discovery that 14 million years ago there was a native North American honeybee and it was found, it sort of fossilised, this female worker and they called it Apis nearctica and it lived in North America during wow. during the Miocene epoch. And so that that's fascinating, isn't it? That there, that there were honeybees in North America and then somehow, you know, some mass extinction or whatever, you know, climate change. I don't know, but those bees died out, and and uh, uh, wow, and then through the through the colonization of of the Americas, honeybees were brought back there. And now, and now, with so much symbolism as well, and uh, you know, the whole state of Utah is sort of has a honeybee symbol, doesn't it? Things like, so. There's there's a there's a big big uh, symbolism and you know, the pollination. But but it begs the question, actually, it does beg the question, that if bees, if honeybees became extinct in North America, then would, surely 
that might be okay because they've only been there since 1622. Mm. And, but there need to be a return to the lifestyle of, of the First Nations people, which, of course, would be okay. Or is that just some, again, some hippie reverie that they've got going on? <laughs> but what do you think? <laughs> Can I ask you a quick question? You've taught me so much about bees. Every time I speak with you, I learn more and more and more about bees. It's amazing. <laughs> and, um, but what is, um, just briefly, what is the history of, of humans and bees here on, on this land? Okay. How far back does it go? I think that our relationship with bees goes way way back before we were people you know it goes back to our animal ancestors goes back way back to our pre-ape even ancestors and there's something really ancient and like bees and people have been working or bees have been part of our evolution even but you know the the finding of bee products and honey and mead and all those medicines have been such a great boon to human beings and we've been honey hunters before we were beekeepers and then we became beekeepers through various different processes and so it's a it's a mammoth question <laughs> but but in britain in, in britain yeah. there is no, there is no there is no hard evidence in the archaeological record for beekeeping before the roman era but there's lots of um lots of sort of loose evidence and suggestions that of course we have been utilizing bee products in for honey and wax and mead and kind of apitherapies since at least the neolithic era and and probably before certainly before i would say but when we started beekeeping that's that's quite blurred probably neolithic bronze age and but yeah. we've had that that relationship with bees for forever i think wherever you've found bees and people or apes or indeed bears and, and other mammals then they've been stealing I, products yeah. from the honeybee or, or 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 celebrating the bees products that have been left behind after they've swarmed or so that yeah it's just that well that's that's really nice to hear because that ties in really well with the meditation that i had yeah. with the bees at your place chris so <laughs> anyway rick it was really good to talk to you um and thank you so much for joining us on living being we hope to catch up with you and um with your new album will you keep us posted as to when it's available you know, perhaps we could get you on the podcast again. Lovely. I would love to. It's been it's been a pleasure being here and talking with you guys. And uh, um, yeah, I'll keep you posted and uh, look forward to, to uh, seeing and speaking with you again. Thanks, Rick. You're a star. That's really, really amazing to have you here. And thanks for sharing everything you've shared and for your music. And long, long may it continue. Thank you. <laughs> pleasure. And to you. Thank you so much. Ah, Shining Fox, Rick Smith, uh, what a great man and great work he's doing. And uh, yeah, I remember having one of those, one of those flutes, not one of Rick's flutes, one of those Native American flutes. Somebody gifted it to me and I gifted it to someone else. It feels really good when that happens, doesn't it? You know, when, when you're given something and you sort of, then you sort of give yeah. it away to someone else. And I've remembered... They're amazing instruments. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're particular, isn't it? Often there's a bit of leather that goes round. So there's six holes, but one of them's closed, and it's connected to the your ring finger of your left hand. 
and um, and so you're not supposed to play that note apparently or something like that. I think there's some there's some bit of folklore around that because it's connected to your heart or something, and oh, really? it's about love and enchantment and music and all those things. Okay. Yeah, fascinating instruments. Yeah, you can see pictures of them on Rick's um, website actually. Um, the Shining Fox is it? Shining Fox. Um, if you look up, if you Google Rick Smith, uh, Shining Fox, you'll find yeah, uh, sure his will. website, yeah. and it's got some wonderful pictures of these uh, of these handmade instruments. And it's it, it, what what I love is um, he was talking about is this handmade element to them. You know, the clearly he puts a, a lot of time and and effort and thought and meditation into uh, into making these instruments and the idea of combining the two you know med- meditation and instrument making at the same time uh, which I guess you must get actually when you make your skeps and various things you make but um, but it's a wonderful it's wonderful that he's ended up with with an instrument and then he then passes on to somebody else with a story yeah, I love that yeah 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 you, you you're not just getting a a mass-produced <laughs> flute from from wherever you're getting a unique piece of magic, aren't you? With each one, yeah, yeah. yeah. That whole thing, that whole the whole story that he's he's passing on to the new owner, you know, of the of the, the this one called Honeybee, which which again is a picture of you. You see it on the website. Um, you know that 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 came out of the experience with you and his experience, and then you get this feeling that. The instrument itself has come to life, you know, um, by being given a name and by link by being linked to the bee, you know, the honest bee. Yeah, oh, it's great. You know, it's an old tradition, you know, in in this neck of the woods as well. Like you know, like um, a great example is is King Arthur's sword had a name. You know, we know it today as Excalibur, but also yeah. you know, in ancient stories and ancient folklore and ancient history you know we hear like harps had names and cups had names and you know many different objects had this this kind of almost animist kind of spirit about them that that they they were part of your community you know so this this whether it's a cauldron or a carriage or a coat you know it had a name and therefore it's had an identity and it's a bit more special a bit more magical and more unique right yeah yeah really, yeah really nice thing to uh, to reenchant because I notice he with... calls them, yeah. Because I notice he, he actually he actually addresses the instruments in the in the third person, you know. And they, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, as she, he calls them. Uh, he's, he, they're all female instruments yeah, yeah, yeah. for him, but they've all got their names, and he describes them um, like his children. You know, as, yeah, his children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's lovely. How are your bees, Patrick? Oh, good. Actually, uh, I am. I have been reunited with my with my hives. Oh, um, great! Well, I've, yeah. yeah, I had a I had a absolutely uh, bizarre trip up to uh, back up to Wiltshire to get them. Got mm-hmm. got a friend to help me load them into the back of my van and spent um, three and a half hours on the road with uh, a few thousand bees in the back. Yeah, did it go well? Yeah, it went well. Kind of slightly keeping my fingers crossed that um, I wasn't, you know, going to be sort of, um, you know, sharing a pass- the, the passenger seat wasn't suddenly going to uh, sort of be alive with, uh, yeah. with with the bees. But they they were all sealed in, and they were all they all seemed to be fine. There was no um, no escapees, no escapees. But one wonderful thing is to be have them here. Yeah. And uh, having set the hives up, and then the following day happened to be a really nice day here. Yeah. 
They had a really good, really good flying day for the bees. Okay. They went out on a walk, uh, you know, on a walk through the fields around around here, and I could just hear them everywhere. Great, great, sort of reorientating. Yeah, they were all out. And I, I was seeing them on, uh, what was I seeing them on? I was seeing them on snowdrops and crocuses and winter honeysuckle and uh, and the gorse. You know, we've been brilliant, talking about the gorse, haven't yeah, we? Yeah. yeah. So, so they love. So they're loving yeah. it. I mean, uh, and we cannot confirm if there is or isn't a, such a thing as gorse honey. I mean, some people say there isn't, and some people say there is. Um, yeah, I'm sure maybe one day we might have someone, an expert, maybe <laughs> more of a, an expert on on the gorse honey or something, on this podcast. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what about you, Chris? Have you have you had any? What have you been doing with your bees? Well, not much with the bees, but have you been doing making some skeps and things like that? I've been making skeps, yeah, and some film props, actually. I've been making some skeps for a film. So I've made four oh. skeps and, and a couple of stands and hackles, and they're off to Wales soon. Oh, uh, okay. To, sort of for a Middle Ages-themed film. Oh, wow. Well, what's inspiring me, actually, this week about bees is the... You remember Nicky Gammons we had on, I can't remember, episode, whatever it was, from the Bumblebee yeah. Conservation Trust. Absolutely. So they've released some info, and I think it's an information pack recently, about golf courses. And so they've, they are appealing to the world of golfers and golf course owners and golf course managers and that kind of stuff, saying that you can convert your golf course to be Bumblebee friendly. And it's completely changed wow. the way I look at golf courses because so, I've always kind of like, you know, sort of sneered at them and think, oh, it looks nice, but it's obviously oversprayed with pesticides and is a kind of a devoid of insects and all that kind of stuff. You know? Yeah, a and bit I, of a desert. And I feel like you know, maybe I've had a prejudice about golf courses because obviously there, there, are, <laughs> there are golf courses in, in the country that aren't like that, that are full of wildflowers and, and that um, and the Bumblebee Conservation Trust, you can... You can either get an information pack or, or visit their website and look at their blog and you can find loads of info on, on how to create a golf course that is really, really rich forage. For, and I guess not yeah. just for bumblebees, you know, it'll be forage for, for many other bees as well. And so that's really changed my view of all those acres and acres and acres and acres and acres of golf courses across the British Isles and beyond that can yeah. change their ways, can't they, and become more environmentally friendly. That's a great, great genius idea i think whoever that's whoever came up with that yeah. in the trust that's a that's, yeah let's hope, hope that so if you know any golfers and if you know any golf course managers and then, then make them aware encourage them yep. yeah visit the bumblebee uh, conservation trust but uh, that's that's a lovely that's um a lovely thought but um yeah and there has been a we apologize to listeners like there has been a bit of a lull um for a few weeks in in getting the next episode out i think we've uh, Suffering the effects of uh, post post New Year, post uh, lockdown, and uh, hopefully things are changing a bit. But um, yeah, we we are we've got other interviews lined up. So tune into Living Being, uh, find us on Facebook, tweet about us, and uh, tune in next time to Living Being. Yeah, cheerio.